we're talking about the woman caught in adultery, John 8, 2 through 11. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of, or caught in the act of adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him. And they might have come charged to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I meant it. About um, four weeks ago, Doug preached on Mephibosheth, which is my favorite story from the Old Testament. And this is one of my favorite stories from the New Testament. Um, Mephibosheth showed us the sweetness of the gospel. This sermon shows us the necessity of the gospel. So I want to start with a little story that happened about four years ago. Uh, our Black Lab Boone and I were on our afternoon walk, and we had uh, been accosted several times by a pit bull that lived up on a slope. And I was always able to get him to go away, but we never know when he's going to come out. So I, I have a thing of pepper spray that I hook on my belt. And so I had this pepper spray, uh, and it was a beautiful day. And sure enough, here comes this pit bull coming down the slope, rushing at us. And I say, no, no. And you know, he's aggressive, but he's not attacking, but he won't go away. So I take out my pepper spray after warning him like five times, go, go. He didn't know I was an elder in church. <laughs> Obviously was a pagan dog. But anyway, I took out my pepper spray and I said, go, and he didn't. So I sprayed. However, I did not account for the direction of the wind. So the spray came all in my face. Let me tell you, it hurts. I couldn't see. I'm standing there. Boone is on. I drop his leash, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm trying to open my eyes because I can't see where Boone is. I can't see where the pit bull is, and I can't open my eyes because of the pepper spray. I don't want to keep walking around because there's a slope on this side. I so I'm just flailing, flailing, and, and trying to wash out my eyes. With it took. It seemed like it took me five minutes, and every once in a while, I get look down and look at the pit bull who, who I think was scared. I don't think he'd ever tried to attack a crazy person before. So 
I looked at his face and he was kind of going like this. I was caught by my own actions. That's this story. And in this story, we see that the, the men who accused the adulteress were caught in their own trap. Um, so I want to get into this uh, story that shows us that we all need the gospel. The accused and the accusers all need the gospel. So here is uh, this woman caught in the act of adultery. Now the scene is in the temple, very near the temple. It's in Jerusalem. It is a crowded morning. It's early in the morning and people have come for their morning devotionals. The scribes and Pharisees who are normally enemies have come together in collusion to trap Jesus. For this woman, who I'm sure was handled roughly and thrown into the crowd, and you have to understand that the scribes and the Pharisees walking to the temple had this woman gruffly in hand, and the crowd is building up. They know something dramatic is going to happen, and this poor woman is the center of attention. So when they get to the temple with the woman, they throw her down on the ground and they challenge Jesus. Moses says that this woman should be stoned to death because we have caught her in adultery. Now, what was the trap? Okay, the trap was twofold. Jesus says he's come not to destroy the law, but to uphold it to see it to its utter fulfillment. And so if he demands that the woman be, if he doesn't demand that the woman be stoned, then it shows that he violates the law. He does not uphold the law. He is not a defender of the law like he has said he is. On the other hand, he's brought the gospel of grace, of love, of tenderness, of mercy. So if he does order her stone, it undercuts his whole ministry as the, as the Messiah of love. So this is the trap that they were trying uh, to set for Jesus. So the first thing that happens is that, G now, so imagine the woman, she can't look up at anybody. She's utterly humiliated. And everybody is looking at her and looking at Jesus and you know, when you have a crowd, there are always those who are ready to throw the rock. So Jesus says nothing but stoops down and starts writing in the dirt. Now you have to understand that in that culture, stooping down while someone, dis while someone addresses you is a sign of contempt. Jesus held her accusers in loving contempt for what they were doing was contemptible. And I'll explain that in a minute. So Jesus then, they keep pestering him. What do you do? What are we supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? And so Jesus stands up and looks at them and he says, let him 
who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone? You could have heard a pin drop. And then he went back down and he started writing. Now, scripture does not disclose what he was writing in the dust. We can speculate, but I, we don't know. If God had wanted us to know specifically, he would have told us. I suspect the Holy Spirit is working on the hearts of the men, but we'll get to that in a moment. It says that when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Now, this scene is probably taking place over 10 or 15 minutes, maybe longer. It's not a quick scene. Now, back in Exodus, the first thing that must have gripped everyone is this passage from Exodus 25 that says, and he gave, God gave to Moses when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Now here's Jesus kneeling, writing with his finger, and that image of God, who then wrote on tablets of stone, now writing in the dust from which man was made, had to resonate with people. And so my next, so we got that the woman is caught in the act and her sin is exposed. There is no way for her to get around it. But the next point is that the accused and the accusers all need a savior. The woman and her accusers ironically faced the same result, public shame and the penalty of death. Now the woman faced the death penalty because adultery required the death penalty. She knew that and the crowd knew that. But also the accusers faced the death penalty. Here's why. Deuteronomy 17. I'm going to call this the law of stoning. Okay, Deuteronomy 17. It should be up on the screen. It says, you shall bring out to your gates that man or woman who has done this evil thing, and you shall stone that man or woman to death with stones. On the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses, the one who is to die shall be put to death. A person shall not be put to death on the evidence of one witness. The hand of the witnesses shall be first against him to put him to death. And afterward, the hand of all the people. So, the law of stoning required two things. First, there must be at least two to three witnesses, eyewitnesses. Second, the eyewitnesses, after giving testimony and judgment being uh, rendered, had to be the first ones to pick up the stones and throw. They couldn't, nobody was allowed to pick up a stone and throw until the eyewitnesses, each of the eyewitnesses has done so. Can you imagine the restraint this is if you are the one who has to cast that first stone as an eyewitness? You are very careful 
not to put yourself out as an eyewitness unless you're absolutely sure. They did not bring forth any eyewitnesses or they were all eyewitnesses. Think of that. They didn't bring anybody forward to say we're eyewitnesses. They said we caught this woman in adultery. That implies that they were eyewitnesses, but it doesn't say they were eyewitnesses. So what is to be done? So that's the law of stoning. Now let me tell you the law of false witnesses. Um, that should also be on the screen. It's also from Deuteronomy chapter 19. The law concerning false witnesses. Let me read that. If a false witness rise up against any man to testify against him that which is wrong, then both the man, both the men between whom the controversy is, shall stand before the Lord, before the priests and the judges, which shall be in those days, and the judges shall make diligent inquisition or inquiry. And behold, if the witness is a false witness and has testified falsely against his brother, then shall ye do unto him as he has thought to have done unto his brother. So shalt thou put the evil from among you. So let me tell you four reasons, at least four reasons, that the older men left first and then all the other men left. All the accusers were guilty in five different ways. First, they knew because the scribes and the Pharisees are the experts in the law. Their whole life is to interpret the law and to enforce it. They probably knew that they had violated the law because they were false witnesses in at least three ways. False, um, okay, and I'll go into that. As false witnesses, they had to face the same penalty as the accused. False, because none of them claimed to be eyewitnesses. False, because if they were eyewitnesses, they were required to bring the man. False, because the law required that they take the wrongdoers before the elders and the priests who alone had the responsibility to decide the case and the punishment. So they have absolutely violated the law. Either there were no eyewitnesses or they were the eyewitnesses. Where is the man? If they caught the woman in the act of adultery, where is the man? because the law required that adulterer and adulteress be stoned at the same time. Well, another reason the older man walked away first, from the older down to the younger, is that they had a longer life of mistakes. When I was a young Christian, you would not believe how righteous I was. 
And as I got older and saw my own sins, and they became increasingly clear to me, I found that I became a lot more humble. I don't want to claim to be humble because that would be a lie. As one, man, one of my friends says, I'm the most humble person I know. When you're young and you don't have a lot of life experience, things seem so black and white, so cut and dry. You're so ready to say, oh, you shouldn't do that. Oh, you need to do that. And as you get older, you understand that life is a little more complicated. Life is nuanced. And you look back at your own life and you see the stuff that you did and said, which now on reflection, you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. So with a longer life of mistakes, the oldest man left and then the younger. Paul tracks this in his own ministry. When he was young in his ministry, he says, uh, I, I'm the least of the apostles. And as he got older in his ministry, he said, I am the least of the saints. And at the end of his life, he said, I am the chief of sinners. The longer we walk with Christ, the more we see our own depravity illumined under the bright light of Christ's own righteousness. Here's another way they violated the law. I'm going to call this the origin of the golden rule. It's from Leviticus 1. You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Later, that was, some people claim watered down, but it says, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. Doesn't matter what culture you're in. Every single culture knows the golden rule. It is written in our hearts from our earliest times. Don't do to others what you don't want them to do to you. And then here's the last trap. You can just hear it go, bam, back on the accusers. And that is the law of intentional sins. See, in the Mosaic law, there was no sacrifice for intentional sins. The sacrifices were for unintended sins. Now, that's a gray area in the law because intentional sins can be interpreted to be those public acts in which you are basically saying to God and the community, we don't care what the law is. I'm going to do this. I'm going to have an affair. I'm going to steal. Whatever. It's a blatant and aggressive evil. But the law, when you read it, doesn't say it that way. It's interpreted that way. It says, if you create an intentional sin, there is no sacrifice for it. So, there is this gray area. So here are the scribes and the Pharisees who know the limits and constraints of the law. They have not brought the eyewitnesses. They have not brought the man. Are they intentional sinners? 
there's another reason that they are condemned under the law and unable to sac make sacrifices for what they've done. And so Jesus is writing on the ground. I don't think he's written all of that. I just think he's showing his contempt for their position. And I believe that the Holy Spirit is coming and causing to remember the law of the witness, eyewitnesses. Where is the man? And that's why he says, let he who is without sin among you, you pick up the stone and cast. Because they know that they deserve the same punishment as false witnesses and violators of the law. Here's a graphic demonstration of the need for grace and the provision of grace. Jesus, just as a rabbi or as a teacher, had the right to command that the woman be stoned. Jesus, as rabbi and teacher, had the right to command that the accusers be stoned. We know that this poor woman repented. Everybody seems to have left. Just Jesus and the woman. And he asked, and I, brothers and sisters, I bet this was the tenderest question. Has no one condemned you? And I don't think she can even lift her head up to answer Jesus. She says, no one, Lord. No one, Lord. And he says, and I don't continue, but don't sin anymore. There are many things in the scripture that tell us that this woman repented. One of them is that at the crucifixion, there were three Marys, Mary, the mother of Jesus, another relative, Mary of Cleopas, and this Mary. When Jesus revealed himself after the resurrection, the first person to whom he revealed himself was this woman. She had been part of Jesus's inner circle from this point on until the resurrection. She traveled with Jesus. Now it's not clear whether the accusers repented. We don't know. When we get to heaven and we walk around, it is possible that someone may come up to me one day and said, you remember when you preached a sermon on April 18, 2021? He said, I was, I was one of the Pharisees. I was one of the accusers. And I'm going to say, well, tell me what happened. The lesson for all of us is this. We are all guilty.
we all face the death penalty. Neither the woman nor the accusers had any defense. There were no mitigating factors for either the woman or her accusers. And what is worse, we create our own judgment. So I'm going to read a passage from Matthew 7. It says, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now, the passage about the woman caught in adultery is not a passage about judging others. I know you can use it for that purpose, but that's not what the purpose is. The purpose is to tell us that we are all guilty from a woman who was at the bottom rung of society to the men who were at the top rung of society, we all are guilty and we all need a savior. When and how we judge, that's a different message. Don't leave here saying it's wrong to judge people. That's not what I'm teaching today and that's not what this one is about. That's another message. But think how many times you and I have judged before God, who is the true eyewitness. Tim Keller, who is just this wonderful uh, Presbyterian pastor in New York, likes to give this analogy. Imagine that each one of us has an internal tape recorder. It automatically activates every time we judge someone. Rick, he's just too good looking. He's vain about it. Dana, she thinks she's a big deal because her husband's a hunk. <laughs> Every time we criticize somebody, it's recorded. And so when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, a person can say, well, it's not fair to judge me based on the law. I did not grow up under the law. Agreed. I, I didn't go to school. I didn't have much education. You can't, can't blame you if my environment. Agreed. Then what are you going to do? I'm just going to judge you by the standards by which you have judged others. So, your judgments validate the judgment I give against you. That's why the entrappers were caught in their own trap. Whether you are uh, so, whether you are the adulterous woman or the accusers. We are all guilty before God. And whether we are under the law because we know it or have no knowledge of the law, we condemn ourselves by the very judgments we have validated by our personal use of them. There is no escape for us. To the person who is clearly 
sinned blatantly and outrageously, there is inner turmoil. What do I do? How can I get forgiveness? What can I say? To the persons whose sins are secret, only God knows it. He was there because he was, he is omnipresent. And we say, well, that wasn't my intention. Yeah, but he knows our hearts. He knows every thought we've ever had. So no one else may know. The scribes and the Pharisees were righteous men by social terms, and yet held in loving contempt by Jesus. So that's a strange phrase, loving contempt. Because Jesus could have simply stood and said, all of you, I'm going to stone the woman, but all of you go with her. I will pick up the first stone and throw it. Jesus takes this woman and brings her into his spiritual family, reveals himself to her as the resurrected God, wants her to travel with him, even though by Jewish terms, this invalidates his ministry to have as part of his close-knit entourage a woman clearly caught in adultery. So for those of us who have committed sins about which we are deeply ashamed, we are scared to death that somehow other people will find out about what we have done. And when they find out, they will spurn us. They will hate us. They will ridicule us. Jesus says to that person, I love you. Come into my family. We are going to co-labor together. I am going to give you a ministry in my name. I'm not ashamed of you. I lift you up. This is one of the reasons Christianity was so powerful among black slaves in America. Despised, rejected, looked at as the bottom of society. They could read this story and say, my goodness, this is a God who receives me and makes me part of his family. I can travel with him labor in his name. So I want to say to that person or those persons out there that you're caught in a flagrant sin, you know it. The answer is the cross. You go before God, you confess your sins, and the Bible promises us that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and and to cleanse us of all righteousness. To the person whose sin is secret, other people don't know about it, and you are worried about exposure. Somebody's gonna come along and say, aha! 
Jesus has covered you completely with his blood. There will be no aha. There will only be praise. It doesn't mean that you have to go out to the public and let me say, let me tell you what I've done. No, I'm not saying that. It means that whatever you have done, that secret shaming sin, Jesus says, I'm going to climb onto the cross voluntarily. I'm taking that sin and all the sins with me, and they will be nailed together in my body. And when, when I rise from the grave, you will rise a new person with me in my name. Call to me, part of my family, made to live a new life. You have been redeemed by the power of the blood. This is why the gospel is such good news, regardless of the culture. And regardless of the time in which we live, because we are all either the adulterous woman or the accusing Pharisees. I've often occupied both camps. And the same God welcomes all of us. So we all need the cross. And when we sin, we can go to the cross and Jesus fully and forever is the full and only bridge to redemption and he stands with open arms. He is just joyously awaiting you to take off that burden and put on his spirit.